The champs have officially reloaded. They've been there, and this team is a champion. And I'm just going to be here to just bring their support. Welcome to the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Jay Black in Atlanta with AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano camped out in North Fort, Florida. And, well, that was your first full week of Braves spring training. <laughs> it was a lot more eventful than expected. Uh, you expected a flurry of moves after the lockout, but the impact of each one of them from Alex Anthopoulos and crew uh, really made waves throughout not only the beat, but the sport. So uh, you're right. The champs really have reloaded. All right, so we will dig into each and every one of those moves we've had during this first week. Plus, we will unpack everything that Freddie Freeman had to say about his Atlanta divorce. This is the Praise Report brought to you by Kroger. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. All right, quick reminder, if you're listening to us for the first time, please subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of the Braves Report. So, Justin, what's kind of the, the mood of the room now in, in the Braves clubhouse and among the fans that you've seen down in Florida after all that's transpired this week, especially with what happened late Friday night with Kenley Jansen? It was the biggest shift of emotions you could imagine in the span of five days from the trade that signaled the loss of Freddie Freeman and a bit of sadness among the fan base and on the team, even if Matt Olson is a good player, to now complete joy, excitement uh, in the clubhouse, among the fan base. Because look, uh, even with the loss of a franchise icon, you look at the Braves right now versus where they were last Sunday before that Matt Olson trade, and they are head and shoulders better and the roster looks rounded out and it looks deep um, and it looks ready to contend and top to bottom they're one of the best teams in baseball and so I think there's a lot of excitement players know that they can feel the front office's commitment and ownership's commitment to building a winning team and so I really think there's a lot of excitement there because look you you come off of winning a world series obviously the pieces were in place but Alex didn't rest. Um, Alex went out and got Matt Olson, and then Alex went out and got two great relievers, and then you know a great outfielder beloved among the fan base for <laughs> for his postseason heroics. And so, I think there's a feeling of an air of confidence uh, because this Braves team had gotten there, had gotten to the postseason, but never had gotten over that hump until last year. And now, when you look at this roster, not only are fans excited about it in general and the chance to repeat, but it looks like they are positioned to have it's, it's tough to repeat in baseball, but it looks like they're positioned to have the opportunity to do so because this roster is so talented and so deep top to bottom. And so I do think there's a lot of excitement and in the clubhouse players know, you know, they're good and they have that experience from last season. And now it's about going and showing it. You and I were doing our, uh, what we'll officially call our pre-show meeting on Friday night, uh, planning for this episode. And you said, oh, I, I got to go. Uh, they just signed Kenley Jansen. And I said, the Braves? You go, yes. And then you hung up on me. Um, <laughs> that one came out of nowhere. Yeah, they weren't really linked to him. Um, and Kenley Jansen, the reason being, we got a little light shed on that today. 
Kenley Jansen said he really didn't get a strong idea that he wouldn't be a Dodger this season until a couple days before the Braves signed him. And that was because the Dodgers had other priorities, uh, one of them being a guy who used to wear a Braves uniform. And then they were doing other things. And so eventually, timing-wise, he just had to make a decision. And I think that's part of it. Obviously, we know Alex and his front office, they've always been very leak-proof and always very good at that. But this one came out of nowhere for another reason. And I'll tell you why. Because they gave him a one-year, $16 million deal. And you thought with Matt Olson's contract, you know, the extension, and then Colin McHugh, and then Eddie Rosario, you really didn't know how much money these guys had to spend. And you didn't know if they were going to divvy up between a couple lower-impact additions or depth pieces, or if they were going to get an impact guy like this. And I think for me, that's why it came out of nowhere. I knew they had a little bit more to spend because of what they saved on Matt Olson versus Freddie Freeman. But I didn't know they would spend that for one year of a reliever with an elite track record. And so this one just really came out of nowhere and does so much for that bullpen. I mean, I think you and I can both agree that you watched the postseason last year. That Atlanta bullpen was stellar. Um, And I think that rung through the sport. And it has in postseasons before with other teams where the thought in this game used to be, let's get as many starting pitchers as we can who can go seven, eight, you know, even nine innings, get as deep as you can. Now you're looking at other ways to shorten the game. And you look at the Braves' bullpen now with Kenley Jansen, now with Colin McHugh, to go along with what they had last season. And Brian Snicker is going to have a lot of options, not only for a versatility of roles standpoint, but guys he can put in if they're down a run or two, guys he can put in if they're up a run or two. There's not a ton of drop-off between each of those first five names, five, six names in that bullpen. And I think that's what's so strong about this move. But yeah, it came out of nowhere. It was so surprising because I don't know if anybody expected them to spend $16 or $16 million. (laughs) Kenley Jansen for $16 would be quite the bargain, Um, but $16 million on one reliever. Plus all the money that's already been spent on Will Smith too. Here's what uh, Jansen had to say to you and the other members of the beat on Sunday about joining the night shift. From the other side, watching uh, talk about the Dodgers with heavy hitters, you know, watching whenever the gate opened up, it was devastating, you know, um, to see Manta Mantic, you know, Luke Jackson, Will Smith, you know, all of them, it was just devastating. And um, for me to join, be a part of this, it's, it's, it's awesome. That's almost $30 million now just between Smith and Jansen. The Braves did not really need any more help in the bullpen with the top five guys they already had. So why was this the move they made instead of picking up some more starting pitching? Because I think um, Alex laid it out perfectly. This seemed to be the tenor. The Braves wanted an impact starter but couldn't find one to their liking and to their price point in free agency or on the trade market. And so... Almost in lieu of that, look, they're still going to look for an impact starter. They're still going to be looking to add. I think they've proven in the last week that they're very intent on winning, intent on giving themselves the best chance to repeat. And so if something presents itself, they'll go after it. But they did this in lieu of that because they felt, why not get another impact reliever? A guy, you know, a closer like that you can use. And then you, you know, push everybody down a wrong almost in that bullpen, but they're just, it's just another quality reliever to shorten the game. And Alex Anthopoulos admitted that a couple years ago when they lost to the Dodgers in seven games in the 2020 postseason, the COVID year, his thoughts after that were, 
how do we get over the hump? And he had staffers preaching to him throughout that time. We got to get there. Like the season is about getting to the postseason, and then anything can happen. And so he admitted he had a perspective change about about just having to get there. And that really ties into his how he's valued a super deep bullpen. And if you have a deep bullpen, not only can you give yourself a chance to win games and you know hold games that you're trailing in um, and win games that you lead in, but you really cover yourself through injuries. Um, guys who don't perform, um, you don't have to throw out bad matchups if you don't want to on a given day. Uh, you don't have to get certain guys up, even if they're not going to throw. You don't have to get them up and have them warm up. Um, and so they did this because if you look at it now, especially in the postseason, teams are trying to get four or five innings out of their starters and then piecing it together from there. So if you've got four or five quality relievers, you're ahead of the game and Something I find really interesting is that Travis Darno was telling me um, in the clubhouse, and this is a guy who played in the 2015 World Series against that Royals bullpen that many people still remember as a very dominant unit. Maybe one of the first, you know, to really revolutionize uh, a bullpen unit and, and really show us what it could be uh, at its best and how it could be used. Um, and he said those Mets, it was tough because you knew going into a game, you knew that you had to get the starter in the first three or four innings, or you're basically done. And so I think this can be something like that. They have Charlie Morton. They have Max Freed. They have Ian Anderson. They've got candidates for those fourth and fifth spots, and heck, they might even get somewhat of a proven starter or even a lower-level veteran to fill one of those spots. But for now you've got a lot of bullpen coverage for the first three guys, and you've got a ton of bullpen coverage to save for that back end of the rotation. And so that's why I think they did this is because in lieu of that, what's Alex, you know, asked himself, well, what's the, you know, if we weren't going to get a starter, what's the next best way to improve this team? And his immediate answer was strengthening the bullpen. And they did that, you know, and they're lucky that Will Smith, um, gave his blessing, you know, the former closer now gave his blessing on that. But I think it really makes sense from a standpoint of, well, if you don't think you can get a number four or number five guy or even a number three or two guy, somebody who'd be better than what they have now, and let's be honest, they're not really crying poor there because they already gave up a ton in the Olsen trade. They've already spent a ton, you know, now in that contract extension and in free agency. So it's very plausible that they weren't going to get something that you know to their liking why not strengthen the bullpen and I think that's what they did because you see in the game now if you go four or five six innings or piece it together it's really really hard for teams to come back and score runs with only nine you know or 12 outs against guys who have great stuff these days you know it seems like everybody you run out of the bullpen who runs out of the bullpen has nasty stuff the Jansen signing very much overshadows what was already a terrific addition earlier in the week with Colin McHugh. He's coming off a terrific year in Tampa, career low, 155 ERA, had a whip under one, and he's a product of Lilburn's Providence Christian Academy. I mean, six-year-old me just freaked out. I've been a Braves fan as long as I've been a baseball fan, which has been a long time. So um, there's a lot there's a lot of who I am today that's, that is the way it is because – the Braves were competitive when I was growing up and uh yeah to feel this kind of like full circle uh like arc of my career is um it's a little surreal right now I'm kind of fascinated by 
guys like Colin McHugh who can who can go more than an inning and and there's not a lot of them out there anymore but 24 of his 37 appearances were more than three outs how do the Braves plan to use him I mean the Braves are going to use him in a versatile role because look they've already got well now Kenley Jansen but at the time they signed him they had Luke Jackson AJ Minter Tyler Matzik those guys can do a variety of things but you look at a guy like Colin McHugh and he offers something that maybe the rest don't in terms of starting experience he was a starter moved to reliever, and you look at, you mentioned his multi-inning appearances last year. I think five of those were three innings. They were. Um, you know, and so he's a really a guy that can give you coverage on multiple levels, whether the, if that's a, you know, middle-inning guy or not. Alex Anthopoulos said they see him as a late-inning reliever who can simply do other things, and I think that's going to be interesting because, especially in today's game, um, and we really talked about in our you know, CBA talk a couple of weeks ago about the roster rules that are really going to prevent teams from, you know, maybe taxing up pitchers up and down a billion times a season. But you look at a guy like Colin McHugh and we just talked about the rotation. He's a guy that could be an opener for them. If they don't like those internal options or they need to do a bullpen game, there's your opener. Uh, he seems like the best fit to do that. If they don't want to use a traditional length guy, now, how much the Braves want to use him for three innings, we'll see. Like I said, that's probably an open, you know, an opener situation. And help. Do I think he can pitch in the eighth? Sure, but with the options that they have, I think he's going to be crucial in getting you through the sixth and the seventh uh, to get to those last, you know, those final six, seven, even eight outs. Um, and so with his stuff, I think that's a great signing. I mean, he's a guy with a great track record. Um, he loves Atlanta, uh, as you heard in the sub, the soundbite, um, and he's really excited to be here. So I think he can do multiple things for you and it just gives brian snickers we were talking about more options in how to play the matchups and so he doesn't have to settle for something that's less desirable um and i think colin McHugh is going to give them that flexibility in the bullpen that uh was maybe even more than what they had last year you just want a microcosm of how the braves have upgraded their bullpen they're five and six guys last year in appearances who are no longer here are chris martin and Edgar Santana. They have been replaced by Colin McHugh and Kenley Jansen. That is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's funny because you look at the top teams in baseball most years, and you look at feared bullpens. Talent in a bullpen is like gold because so many times you're relying on unproven relief. You know, relievers can be volatile, and so many times you don't know what's going to happen. And the fact that the Braves are so deep in that area is really big. But not only are they deep, they're not, these aren't guys without track records. Colin McHugh's got a track record. Kenley Jansen has a tremendous track record. We know what um, Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson can do. Heck, I mean, one, <laughs> in these press conferences, it's been funny because one guy, Alex Anthopoulos, has, has kept telling us not to forget is Darren O'Day a veteran, you know, reliever that's brought in, you know, he's trying to compete to make the team, but it seems like he will make the team. It seems like he's going to have every opportunity to do so. I, I mean, I just think that there's so much talent in this group that it just gives you more coverage for the inevitable, vol inevitable volatility of a bullpen, which we've seen in baseball, you know, year after year, you really sometimes don't know what you're going to get from those guys. Cause it's so hard to pitch in those roles, but the Braves have really given themselves a lot of coverage there. And you could make an argument, like we were talking about earlier, that it might be more important than the starting rotation for their needs because they have three good starters already. 
The Braves Report is presented to you by Kroger, and we've been talking about volatility in a bullpen. And if uh, you haven't seen gas prices lately, that is volatile, too. And Kroger is here to help you with Kroger Fuel Rewards. Earn one fuel point for every dollar you spend at Kroger in-store or online. And you can earn two times the fuel points when you purchase gift cards and during special weekends throughout the year. And one of those may be coming up very soon. So head to your local Kroger store today and beat these crazy grass prices with Kroger Fuel Rewards. Now to the lineup, and we finally have the answer to the question of which one of these Braves postseason heroes will be in the outfield, and it's Eddie Rosario. Everything I do in, in, the, in the postseason is it's a dream. It's a dream. Uh, I think about that. Uh, all season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Tanner Bat was important. I think, you know, last year was the most balanced our, our lineup was. When you look at having the guys that we did with Jock and Rosario and Freddie and Ozzy and just having that depth in the lineup was huge for other teams to have to navigate and work through. So, um, And also just having a contact bat is important too. That's Alex Anthopoulos and two years, 18 million sounds pretty reasonable for Eddie. Yeah, that is really reasonable. I mean, he's a guy who also has a track record who had some great offensive seasons with Minnesota. Is he going to hit 30, 40 bombs a year? No, but I, I don't think that's his purpose in a lineup. And especially when you think about the NL East, you have Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. You've got Mar the Marlins have great pitching for all the struggles they've had on offense. They've got great pitching. You're going to be facing great pitching in this division a team like the Braves, you need a contact bat like that. You need a guy with good bat-to-ball skills. Uh, if you look at him, I mean, he's put together solid OPSs throughout his career, OPS pluses. Um, he, I mean, he grades out decently as a left fielder. But more so for that bat, it makes them more balanced with having a righty-heavy team. And then it's those bat-to-ball skills are going to be important because you can't be you need that. I mean, you've already got guys with a couple guys with maybe higher strikeout rates in this lineup that do offer you a little bit more power, but you're going to need a contact guy like this, a tough at bat, a guy who makes you a little uncomfortable, who can put the bat on the ball a little bit and at least put it in play or foul balls off. You're going to need a guy like that against pitchers in the NL East who, you know, if you're, if you don't have that can rack up 10, 11 strikeouts in a start. Surprised it was Eddie over Jorge Soler. No, at first, you know, I thought it made sense to bring back Eddie and Jorge Soler, but it makes sense because in Eddie Rosario, the Braves get the most complete player for their needs, I think, and for the, the most all-around player for their needs. When you look at how he grades out as a left fielder, you know, pretty decent, not not overwhelmingly good, but he's, you know, he's, he's positive. I mean, positive defensive runs saved you know, saved, I think, three in with his left field defense in 2020 and then uh, two in 2021. And that, that fits them really well. And then they needed a, I mean, they needed a left-handed bat. That was kind of the, the goal here. And I think, like Alex mentioned, they saw how good it was when their lineup was as balanced as it was in 2021. And I think that would have been a hard thing to turn away from. On the flip side of that, it's tough to miss on Jorge Soler, a guy whose back can literally change the game with one swing. But in Eddie Rosario, I think they found, you know, they brought back a more complete all-around player and giving them a different type, a hitter with a different type of profile. And I think that's why they went that route. Especially, you know, two for 18, that's a good, that's a good deal for a guy like that, you know, who has had great offensive seasons um, and who showed you 
he can perform in those big moments. Should he be held to those standards? Uh, no. I hate to burst the bubble here, but he's he's not going to hit you know an OPS over a thousand. Um, he's not going to post that this season. But he going can... out on a limb there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry, Eddie, but uh, no, and they don't expect him to do that either. But I think it's going to be. I mean, he's a better all around player than Jorge Soler, and he fits their needs uh, a lot more. Bit. I do love this time of year watching the transaction list to see which kind of random former big former big leaguer hits the minor league signing basket. Brock Holt, Phil Goslin, Brad Brock, Nick Vincent. Any of those 30-somethings going to make an impact here? Brock Holt is intriguing to me. The one the one I think that's intriguing, though, is uh, Brad Brock. Like, I think he had a horrible last season. With the Mets, he wasn't that bad over parts of two seasons. And that's why it shocked me that there was such little interest. Now, I don't think the stuff is where it was, you know, obviously earlier in his career. But he he's a veteran. He knows how to pitch. That could be an interesting arm to keep an eye on, but I would lean more in terms of who's going to make the team. I would lean more toward an infielder like Brock Holt, a guy like that. But, I mean, look, Brian Snicker loves Phil Gosselin. I mean, said he loved him when we talked to him. Played pretty, you know, recently and made an impact on the team and was, you know, with a team all last year. I think that Phil Gosselin probably makes the biggest impact of these guys. And I think, you know, especially with, rosters expected to be expanded i mean he's got you know he's got a spot uh, and they also signed alex dickerson so there's there's some upside with these guys um but yeah it's, it's always fun to scour the roster transactions things and see who they've signed to minor league deals with invites to spring training speaking of reasonable contracts you could also argue that matt olson's deal is uh, pretty fair too i was very much a braves fan um and it like I said, I still don't know if it's uh, sank in quite yet, but um, I'm, I'm very, very honored to throw this jersey on, join a, a, a big young core that has already proven themselves. All right, now that now that all is said and done here with the Matt Olson saga, he's locked up until 2029 or 2030. How do you grade the move? I grade it A. The only reason it's not an A-plus is because you had to give up Shea Langoliers, a potential star on the other end, but you're going to have to pay a steep price, as we talked about last week, for a great player. Matt Olson is an Atlanta kid, a terrific first baseman. You couldn't have handpicked a better replacement for Freddie Freeman. He's going to produce like Freddie Freeman on the field on both ends of the chalk. He's almost five years younger you got him for a lower AAV than Freddie Freeman, you know, would have gotten, and you got him for three more years. So I think this is honestly a slam dunk and really set the tone for what was a week that could shape the Braves this season. If you haven't noticed now, this is the Freddie Freeman portion of the show. This one may not be the fun one, but Olsen was asked earlier this week how he would handle the pressure of replacing Freddie. I'm sure that was going to come up. Um, you know, Freddie's obviously an amazing, amazing player, and um, you know, it's, it's just not going to affect what I come here and do. Um, I'm here to, to be Matt Olson, and that's uh, all I can really control. So, control the controllables, come out here, play my game, and, and try to play some winning baseball. I know I said in our post lockout show that I'd pay Freddie Freeman the six year just to keep Braves country from burning the stadium down, but. It seems like, Justin, that Braves country is more than happy to move on, which kind of stuns me. Am I wrong there? <laughs> no. 
if you had told me on Monday night when we recorded our last episode, if you had said, Justin, by Sunday, by the time we do our next episode, Braves country is going to be more on Alex Anthopoulos' side than Freddie Freeman's, I would have called you absolutely nuts. But uh, Freddie Freeman really did a number on his perception with this fan base based on the comments. Um, he added his press conference in it, you know, in, well, in Phoenix about, you know, his introductory press conference saying that, oh, the Braves only called him twice, saying, you know, he saw Alex's tears and that's all he had to say about that. I think a lot of Braves fans thought he came off a little salty, and especially because there were reports that came out saying that his agents only gave the Braves an hour. They gave him an hour deadline, presented him with a couple different offers, and boom. The Braves had had a ton of time to think about this. I get that. You can blame them for even letting it get to this situation, but you can't give them. That's bad business. Um, That is not good business. Uh, It was talked about around the industry. You can't really do that. And so I think a lot of what has come out since has turned public perception against Freddie, whether fair or unfair. And so I think... In turn, Matt Olson has a lot more fans now than he did four days ago. And I think Braves fans were ready to move on anyways and really get behind this guy, um, especially because, you know, baseball fans started to learn about all the good he did in Oakland and all the good he can do on both sides of the game. But even more so after Freddie Freeman's introductory press conference, um, Braves fans are really ready to get behind Matt Olson and kind of head into this new era. Now, here's the highlights from that press conference. First, Freddie said he clearly didn't see this coming until the Olsen trade was announced. I think Monday uh, the emotions were all over the place, to be honest. Um, I got the news when I was uh, at workout that uh, the trade had happened. Uh, I had no idea that that was going to happen or anything like that. So it, when I when I got told, uh, the emotions were all over the place. I mean, we're all human. Um, when you spend some place for 15 years and you see that chapter had got closed right then and there, that I was all over the place. Um, I didn't really speak for a couple hours, just trying to figure it out, figure it all out, like what what was going on. So the the emotions have gone all over the place. And that communication gap. The communication um, wasn't all there at the in the off season. Um, I got two phone calls all off season, so um, I got more from Andrew to my agents in a matter of a couple hours. So um, I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I got one call the day before the lockout uh, of a checking in, and I got one call when the lockout was lift, lifted, just checking in. So I don't know how to interpret that, um, but that's just the reality of what was going on. So when uh, the Dodgers and other teams expressed interest and wanted to communicate and want to 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 want to get me here that was huge for me that part gets my attention a little bit because if that's true is that typical for teams not to talk with the player much when he's a free agent um not really typical I mean if you listen to that and you haven't been in the game it would strike you as odd but I think with what we've learned look I had heard that the Braves' final offer to Freddie Freeman was for five years and $140 million, with a little bit of flexibility to go up. I don't know, you know, if they would have, but five years, $140 million, it would be, you know, it, it might strike as odd that they didn't communicate much with him, but the offer was, was there. What I've gathered is his camp knew where the Braves stood. What more would they need to communicate? 
I, I don't know. And so that's that's where it kind of confuses me is that it seems like they knew where the Braves stood on this. They knew what they would offer and what they were willing to go to. And at that point, you know, then Alex has got to set up the rest of his offseason. You can't wait for something like that. Um, and they didn't want to look. They didn't want to go to the sixth year, um, as reports said. And, and that's fine because Freddie Freeman, you know, is going to be older after that sixth year. But I, I think it's a little odd, but I don't see it as something the Braves handled poorly. I think it was just a matter of, you know, probably maybe talking to his agents more than they had talked to him specifically and really them perhaps thinking that his, you know, his camp knew where they stood on things. And so I don't I don't think that's reason to really uh, trash the Braves. This this whole thing still we may never get a, a straight answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Freddie clearly wanted to stay. Braves clearly wanted to keep him. How did this situation go so wrong so fast? Well, it seems like, you know, if the reports are true about that, you know, that deadline his agents gave, from that, it really seems like his agency played hardball with Alex Anthopoulos, um, thought they were going to get the Freddie Freeman treatment, the Freddie Freeman discount, if you will, the Freddie Freeman, and by discount, I mean added, you know, the sixth year because he is the face of the franchise an icon, beloved around the city. And it seems like they really tried to play hardball with that. And a lot of people learned that that day that Alex isn't going to do that. And so I think really Alex had to pivot and then probably put the Braves in a better spot now and in the future because of it. But I think that's how we got here is you have, I don't think by any stretch, it didn't really seem like, you know, the sides hated each other or anything like that. But I do think that Freddie's camp was asking for more than you know, the Braves felt comfortable doing. And, you know, you can you can see both sides of this. They did want to keep him, you know, and he did want to stay. It's very, you know, that much became very clear, but it didn't match up. And sometimes that happens. But I think it was really a debacle more so from Freddie's side than the Braves' side, uh, because there are so many ways, you know, this could have happened. And even like, you know, it's so many things that could have happened. I just think they didn't match up, and eventually the Braves had to pivot, and Freddie's camp learned the hard way that they shouldn't have played hardball that way. And it and, and the contract still is is rather amazing because what you had reported five years, one forty AAV of twenty eight million. Freddie ends up with six for one sixty two. However, fifty seven million of it is deferred for the next thirty years so the union says the real value there is like 148 plus oh yeah he's got to pay california taxes so he made out with less it appears than what he would have gotten if he took what the Braves had offered and uh what that tells me from the outside of this um not having covered the dodgers obviously is that what alex did in pivoting really ripped the leverage out from under freddie um, in his camp, and really because that one team, the Braves were the team keeping the price, you know, because they wanted to keep him, and he wanted yep. to stay there. And so once you remove that horse from the race, now the Dodgers, you know, and other teams start swirling in terms of like, well, if, you know, if you didn't accept that, well, that offer's not on the table anymore, so here we can give you that sixth year, but this, you know, but that. And suddenly... Where do you want to go? Well, do you want to go to the East Coast or do you want to come home? Oh, if you really want to come home that badly, then you'll take this. And I think 
I think Freddie really lost leverage um, in that case. And it seemed like, at least from the outside, that he really lost some leverage. And because he really, you know, it seemed like he wanted to stay in Atlanta, that became clear. And so I do think that this was, uh, yeah, it, a really strange situation we'll talk about for years to come. And here's what Freddie had to say about Anthopolis almost coming to tears. Um, <laughs> I saw him. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'll say. That was um, interesting. That was, uh, yeah, as somebody who was there, I didn't really perceive those to be crocodile tears. That uh, sounded the crack in the voice, the hat on the head, the head lowered. The body language had all the makings of a guy who had just been ripped apart emotionally by a tough decision he had to make, um, by a guy who had to move on from a player he really loved, by a guy who had to move on from a player he had built a relationship with um, that he knew was important to his franchise, that was important to his city. I think that when people saw that tweet, I think Braves fans started to feel that Freddie was pretty salty because I think you see the emotion on Alex's face and only having covered him for you know, the better card a couple weeks. I don't know. But I know others who have been around longer perceive that as real. Uh, I think he'd be a psychopath or a sociopath, whatever you want to say, if he could <laughs> fake that, if he would be even willing to go on camera and fake something like that. But that was real. And I think, man, I mean, Freddie really, ugh, to say that in that instance to, to that question, I think uh, – to kind of imply that maybe they weren't real, that's what I read from it, or maybe he just didn't want to answer it. But I think uh, as somebody who was standing directly to the right of Alex Anthopoulos when he was choking up a little bit and kind of had brought, been brought to tears, you could tell that was uh, the look of a man who had to do something he didn't want to do. And he had to make the cold, calculated decision uh, to pivot. And sometimes that's business, but... Man, for Freddie, like, just because you're not, I mean, just because he didn't return doesn't mean the decision wasn't tough. I do think that there was a little bit, like, it seemed kind of like he was left in the dark by his age. Or maybe he just didn't understand the full scope of the situation. Or maybe he wasn't telling us the full thing in, in that introductory press conference. Because um, obviously Excel's a, a good agency. They've been around. Um, they've negotiated deals. They've got big players, uh, Clayton Kershaw included. And so... You know, these guys know how to do their jobs well. I just think there's maybe some, there seemed like, that was my takeaway from the situation, there seemed some disconnect somewhere because both of these sides wanted the same thing. Um, and for Freddie to call that out on Alex was really, really strange. So who's better now, the Braves or the Dodgers? Oh, God. <sighs> They're neck and neck, and I don't know because the Dodgers losing Seager, losing Kenley Jansen, those are tough holes, but they've got Gavin Lux. They will probably acquire, you know, another reliever, sign another reliever. They've got Mookie Betts. They've got Cody Bellinger, who had a rough season last year. They've still got Justin Turner. You know, they're so neck and neck that I don't know if I, you know, the Braves have the better bullpen. The Dodgers have the better rotation. Right now, without Acuna, the Dodgers have the better outfield. The Braves, you know, might have a better infield. They'll probably have a better infield. <laughs> They're so neck and neck, I really don't know where to go. But I can tell you this. The Dodgers have been the class of Major League Baseball for years, um, and it has been the Dodgers and everybody else. We sit here on March 20th doing this podcast at 
about 6.45, and I can tell you that the Dodge, it is no longer the Dodgers and everybody else. Uh, the Braves, I think, are right up there with them. It's going to be a fascinating battle all season. By the way, Braves go to L.A. April 18th. Dodgers come here June 24th. Now, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has so much more to offer. If you want to get all of Justin's Braves coverage, all of our sports coverage, and the largest newsroom in the Southeast, we encourage you to join the community and subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, so you always know what's really going on. So we'll stop it here. Rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. And Justin and I will see you next week on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.